Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. November 9th, 2020. Good evening and welcome to the reaction, a presentation of the Chair Shot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co host, Tony Acero. What up? All right, so before we get tonight's episode started, a couple of quick non wrestling related things. Um, first of all, if you guys are struggling, if you're listening to the show, if you're struggling mentally, feel free to reach out to people. It's okay. Feel free to take time off away from things in order to better yourself, in order to get yourself back to where you need to be. I will be entirely honest. I will be entirely open. We've been doing this show long enough. I feel I owe, I owe you guys that. My mental health has not been great the last two weeks. That's why there's been no show. However, I am thankfully starting to feel more like myself once again, and as such, we are returning this evening. So if you feel yourself having the need to reach out to somebody, do not hesitate to do so. Do not worry about what other people will think of you for doing so. 
there comes a time where you have to put your mental health first regardless of what other people think. All right. Um, Tony, are you a game show person? Game show? Yes. I'm really good at Wheel of Fortune. And if I I'm... watch Jeopardy on mute, I'm really good at that show too. Yeah, I don't do the whole buzzer thing with Jeopardy, but I always try to answer the questions. There's this website called J Archive that I play along with all the time. It has a bunch of the old shows and stuff on there where you can, like, read the question and then try to answer it, and then you click on the question and it reveals the answer. Pretty cool. If you want me to, I can send it to you. You'd be interested. Well, no, if you watch Jeopardy on mute, you'll never know whether you're right or wrong, so you could just assume that you're right. Okay. Um, you don't have to comment here if you don't want to. I know you hate when I put you on the spot like this. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. One of the voices of my childhood with Jeopardy. Um, I was a big fan of one of his previous game shows called Concentration as well. I go back and I watch old episodes of that almost every day on Buzzer, which is available on like Roku through Pluto TV and like Stir and stuff like that, so... But um, Trebek was one of those guys that was the kind of the voice of my, almost the voice of my childhood growing up. Because every night in our house, we would eat dinner around 6. Um, my mom and my stepdad would watch the news at 6.30. And then 7, 7.30, between 7 and 7.30, it was Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy while we were doing the dishes, doing our nightly cleaning and stuff. That was always on his background noise. So I got used to hearing Alex Trebek's voice, and it's something that to this day I still occasionally watch episodes of Jeopardy. And I will be making sure that I pay particularly close attention on the week of December 21st through December 25th, which will be his last set of episodes. Uh, any Trebek memories? Any Trebek comments? Eerie. Um, truly, the only thing that I enjoyed about um, Trebek on Jeopardy, like, worth talking about, would be that the longer the show went on, the more power he had as a host, and the more freely he was able to insult people or just look at them in a increasingly dumb manner um, every time they answered something that was just so appalling that he, they didn't know. It was almost condescending, but in a funny way. I feel like SNL needs to do one last Celebrity Jeopardy tribute to him and Sean Connery. <clears throat> with them going within a week of each other. Because I think it was last Monday that uh, Sean Connery passed away. And then obviously yep. Sunday morning for Alex Trebek. I'm just saying, I, I think SNL would be well will serve to pay one final tribute to Celebrity Jeopardy with uh, Will Ferrell and Daryl Hammond in their respective roles. But, okay, that's enough non-wrestling stuff. Let's talk about the actual wrestling stuff. Um, We'll get to Raw. We'll get to SmackDown. We're not going to get to these particular week's episodes specifically, but we will discuss them in generality. Uh, Tony, you covered a pay-per-view on Sunday. I did. Saturday. On Saturday, excuse me, going into Sunday. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty expensive. <laughs> you see, that's one of the things that I kind of want to talk about, too. Do you think that AEW has to reach a point where they don't charge $50 in order to draw the, the pay-per-view audiences that they want? Well, it's kind of hard because it, it's a business model, and you can't deny them, you know, their, the money that they rightfully deserve simply because the WWE decided to charge nine ninety nine a month. Um, and also, it, it does, aside from me having to watch it on my own um, in the quarantine kind of ruining large groups, it's not impossible to get, uh, you know, a gaggle of friends together and pitch in 10 bucks and enjoy the show. I would much rather do that than what I, you know, what we've been doing. So, no, I don't think they should lower the price. I don't think that they should minimize um, the price that they charge because, in a sense, they're, what they're saying is that this is worth it, and and I think it's worth it. I mean, I'm a little, you know, not the right person to ask. I'm not even sure if I should share this information, but 411 fronts the bill for me. So, I, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. But AEW is an amazing product, and I just think that, that's you know what they need to stand by so yeah i i i I would be i don't think i'd be fair right now if i said that they need to lower their their product they they need to make money somehow (laughs) um if it makes you feel any better the whole 411 fronting to build thing cat has been out of the bag for quite a while (laughs) well i assumed as much but you know larry may never been my cat Larry made it very clear that it was a tax write-off as well for him. Because his income, with his income coming through 411 in the website, it was considered a business expense for him ordering the pay-per-views. Right. And the yeah. fight TV streams for the independent shows and everything that he watched. The fact that the man was a machine had absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, that boy can go. Seriously, how the fuck did he watch as much wrestling as he did? I envision him sitting in front of like ten TVs, all stacked up on one another, and just <laughs> going going to town. I feel like that's how some people treat like NFL or college football. Yeah, like yeah, really, I've seen it's it. Like it. It's just like a, well, there was um, I, I'm a big college football fan. I think I've mentioned that before on the show. And mm-hmm. I get um, I get a preview magazine every year for college football, which is the Phil Still annual football preview magazine. And college football is literally this guy's source of income. He covers it. He talks about it on the website. He has a subscription site for people that want extensive statistics and everything. He showed a picture of what his home setup is like, and it's literally – like a dozen monitors all next to each other so he can watch anywhere from 8 to 12 different games at a time. Hmm. You know, slide aside, the owner of the bar slash restaurant that I run, um, I may or may not have mentioned it. He's from Ohio. And um, you uh, have? He, uh, I, I bought him a pair of shoes, Ohio State University shoes. He wore them for the first game. And as you know, they've been kicking ass. Um, he will now only wear those shoes every game. And I, I'm not really one of those, you know, um, I mean, I don't watch a lot of sports anyway, so I guess there's not really a big reason for me to be. But, you know, those little little things, you know, like rubbing your feet on the carpet or wearing the same jersey every week. But now he's wearing those shoes every single week. That was kind of cool. 
because I bought them. <laughs> so you're saying you're not superstitious? No, no, no. Come on, Harry. Are you sleeping? Tell us. Yes. Tell us, Harry. No, I'm just a little stitious. Tell us what you wear every time they're on. I'm not superstitious. Oh, okay. Cool. I kind of struck you as the person who was, who would be. Interesting. And I'm also not an Ohio State fan. Oh, no, not them in particular. You know, maybe the Bills. <laughs> maybe the <laughs> someone else. Oh, definitely the Bills. No, I do have Bills. I do have Bills paraphernalia. I have a couple of T-shirts. I have my hat. I wear my hat every day, regardless. Mm-hmm. But um, like game day specific, I don't really have anything specific that I wear while I'm watching the game. All right. It surprises you that I'm not like superstitious? Yeah, I figured. I figured you'd have something. I don't know, a towel or an old shirt or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can't say that I do. Well, you uh, know overall, who probably does our truth in John Cena shirts. <laughs> uh, do we talk about the debacle that was the 24-7 title tonight? Oh, no, we're skipping <laughs> that shit. <laughs> the only redeemable quality the 24-7 championship has for me right now is the fact that it is garnering me major points in the fantasy league that we're in. <laughs> yeah, truth's kind of carrying your ass. Yep. You know what? I'm almost one person away from the best team ever. Orange Cassidy, Sasha Banks, R-Truth. Come on. That's like Tony all over it. It is. If only A.J. Lee came back. I might just draft A.J. Lee to be funny. She can't fare I'm any worse than Naomi's doing right now. I'm going to tell you right now that you can try, and Liz is going to tell you no. (laughs) She will. Because I tried to draft Eddie Guerrero a couple of years ago because I was sucking anyway, and I wanted to pay tribute to Eddie. It was right around Survivor Series, actually. Speaking of Eddie, let me – so I was watching um, all of the Untold series on the WWE Network, and I've seen the – yeah, I've seen the Ray and Eddie one before, so I didn't watch that one. But we got to the one on Sasha and Bailey, and when Sasha started talking about Eddie, I just I I had to pause. And it's it's just it's not wild to me. It's not like this crazy thought, but it it hasn't escaped me that any time Eddie is brought up in one of these documentaries, even for a glimpse, I just I choke up. I can't like I need to pause for a second. Like it's just. The dude has left a lasting impression, and I know I'm not the only one, but it's just crazy to know that, you know, he inspired Sasha Banks, and we're older than her. Um, so it's, it's just it's the, the power that that man has had over my life and over wrestling fandom is amazing. I just thought I'd bring that up since you brought him up, because I, I, it was just last night, I believe. I just was like, have shit, I, uh... it's happening again. <laughs> Have I ever shared the uh, the Eddie story? I don't know, Harry. We've been doing this for a long time. (laughs) That Eddie's the only time I've ever cried watching wrestling? Oh, um, probably. I'm sure you have. Um, If I haven't, or if I haven't, it's been a while, because I'm sure it's been a while if I have shared the story. The only time I've ever actually teared up watching wrestling was the Johnny Cash Hurt tribute video. To this day, I cannot watch that video. 
from the uh, Monday Night Raw right after he passed away. Even listening to the song kind of gives me the willies, you know? Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I really like that cover. Aw, <laughs> put in. There she is. It that girl. To find it. it took me a second to find it. I'm out of practice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Instead of actually specifically going over what all's happened on Raw and SmackDown this week, which is what we traditionally do on the show in the format that we will return to next week, um, we've been absent for well, basically three weeks. This is the first time we've done an episode in three weeks. Again, mental health, make sure you reach out. So I kind of want to just get caught up on all the storylines and stuff and see what your thoughts on where the direction of the company is, Tony. How's that sound? Yeah, that's fine. Let's do it. All right. So I've been noticing through your raw report that you're coming around on on. I almost made the same mistake the announcer did tonight on Mustafa Ali as the leader of Retribution. I'm not going to say that the Retribution angle was salvageable because I don't know that it is. That being said, if people aren't seeing main event potential in Ali coming out of this, they're fucking blind, Tony. Yeah, no, I, um, I I wouldn't say I'm coming around to it. I, I'm, I'm understanding that Ali is trying hard. And sometimes as a wrestling fan, you kind of have to respect that. The, the, mag, you know, the huge effort that um, some of the talent put into, you know, get things over. Um, an example that I've used many times before is Kevin Owens. I, I've I've joked around that, oftentimes I feel like they hand him a script and he just like rubs his head and considers, you know, how ridiculous it is and says, all right, I'll, I'll give it a try. And of course, WWE, I'm sure loves that, but from a wrestler standpoint, uh, it must be tiresome. Ali, when you look at where he was a year ago to now, this is definitely a step up for him. So I'm sure he's looking at it that way, especially considering all of the positive things we've seen and heard about him. He's probably a glass half full type of guy. But from a purely storyline standpoint, it just it it has no weight, none whatsoever. Ali being the voice of the voiceless, if you will, um, doesn't really come off as true, and it just you know, it's one of those things where you if you sit there and think about it, you're gonna realize how bad it is, and it's one of those stories that isn't allowed to ask you not to do that. The 24-7 title is allowed to ask you not to sit there and think about it because it is the most ridiculous thing ever, and they've treated it as such. This has been treated as one of the biggest storylines to come out of the summer. I mean, keep in mind, the summer is one of those, you know, those, those um, storylines that are, that are huge. When you look back on the history of wrestling, immediately what comes to mind is CM Punk, um, you know, in his summer. Uh, but there's been many, there's been plenty that I'm sure you would be able to list more so than me. And then for this summer, of course, we had COVID, which still very much exists. But realistically, storyline-wise, we had Retribution. And it just fell incredibly flat. And it has not, it's not risen from its own ashes. This is not a phoenix. This is Ali trying to do what he can with what he's given. So no, I wouldn't say I've come around to Ali as the leader. I just respect the man for, 
you know, trying his hardest. See, I actually had the opportunity to listen to the Ali episode of After the Bell with Corey Briggs. And if people actually take the opportunity to listen to that episode there, they'll see that the extent with which Ali is putting the history of each of these people into the retribution angle that maybe the casual fan isn't immediately catching, that there is a tie-in. There is a reason that retribution went after Ricochet and Tucker last week on a Raw, that no one person was immune. Ricochet for trying to fight this battle on his own and Tucker for turning on his friend. The the hacker twist, which we missed because we were we didn't do a show that night, was something that we said added a depth to the storyline as well because it kind of ties Ali as the all-seeing eye into the angle, which is kind of what we pontificated about but didn't have actual confirmation of until two weeks ago. I, I'm not saying that the entire angle was salvageable because I think that the look has to change at some point. The names have to change at some point. But there was a quote from Ali on After the Bell where he said that he intentionally asked for them to be given the names that they were given and to be given the look that they were given with the masks and stuff. And do you know why he said that? Yeah, yeah, something about being held down or I don't know. The announcers tried to explain it. There there's no there's not gonna it's too late. Okay? No no explanation is gonna be good enough. It's too late. The they're they're gone. They're they mean nothing. Right now the highest they're gonna get on the card is Mia Yim possibly challenging Oscar for the women's title. They're facing ricochets, they're squashing, you know, nobodies. They're 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 nothing. It hasn't it's really it's, it's too late. I really enjoyed all these match with Ricochet tonight. It was an amazing match. I do think that the first half of the match was relatively pointless. I think that, but that's that's the WWE's fault, not the guy's fault. That's their inability to create um, energy before a commercial break. It happens in almost every match that has a commercial in it. I was a little pissed that they missed the neckbreaker coming back into the ring before the commercial. Though. Right. But I, I just chalked that up to Kevin Dunn being an idiot more so than anything. Yeah, like in the beginning of the episode when the Raw theme is playing loud as hell and the commentators are trying to talk, yeah. Seriously, what? As a, as a commentator, and we've talked about this many times, stuff like that bothers me. Because if you want the people to be invested in the show, they need to know what's happening on the show. And if they can't hear the announcers telling them what's happening then how the fuck are they going to know what they want to stick around for? All right, other things from uh, Raw that that are ongoing storylines here. Um, Orton and McIntyre next week on Raw for the universe for the excuse me for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship Universal Titles on SmackDown. Uh, so Orton has continuously been a bright star on a you know dark sky that is the show called Raw um, but what, what's interesting is that Orton is being given the opportunity to do this okay and that that's what kind of blows my mind about Raw well WWE as a whole there are plenty of people on the roster that can do exactly what Randy Orton is doing 
but they're only giving Randy Orton the time to do it. Um, go back to Ali. Go back to him being the leader of Retribution. Like, had this been uh, given the, the proper timing and the, the right energy behind it, this could have been the storyline of the summer. Like, I think it should have been. That I, that I think when the rumors were swirling, it was going to be. But what we got was flipped over cars and broken windows and the shittiest security teams ever known to man. We got haphazard camera angles. We got a random one from the crowd. We got chainsaws. We got cinder blocks. Like, I just, it was horrible. Really, really bad. So when you get to Orton, and, I mean, all praise to Randy Orton because the dude is a vet and he knows how to do things and he knows what to do. It just it, it's it's so glaring that you have a storyline and or a character like Randy Orton on the same show that you have a storyline or character like Retribution, and it's unfair to be like Orton is just knocking it out the park every week and he's killing it every single Monday because he's being given that opportunity. He's in the main event. He's got a great foil, or I should say he is a great foil to Drew McIntyre. And I don't think anybody was mad that Drew lost the title, which is very, very interesting because if it was anyone else, I think people would be very upset. Um, I will say that there are moments where it gets a little tiring because it seems like Drew versus Orton is being stretched on for a very long time. But admittedly, it's one of the better moments on Raw. And tonight was no different with him not wanting to tag in, kind of looking down on Miz and Morrison as, you know, jackasses, and rightfully so because that's what they've been portrayed as for the since Morrison's return. So Orton just when, being not interested at all is just, I, I thought it was great. Not only that, there's actually an even bigger process to that, too. If you think about it, it's Orton not wanting to leave himself susceptible to a money in the bank cash in from Miz at ringside as well. Mm-hmm. And he specifically mentions this touch on Miz TV at the start of the show. Yeah, for sure. And it just, it just, those are the moments that Orton looks great. And um, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It's just a, it's an overall approach to Raw is just looking at things like that. Um, but to hone in on simply Orton versus Drew, yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I don't think that they're done. I don't think that they're um, finished with the storyline here. I think Drew will probably get his title back at some point. But they are trying to stretch this out so that he can get over and done with Survivor Series. I'm hearing rumors of a potential triple threat for tables, ladders, and chairs. Are you interested? What was that? I'm hearing rumors of a potential triple threat for TLC. Are you interested? Uh, Orton, Drew, and who? Uh, Wyatt. Oh, I forgot about him. So did Raw. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Anything on with Wyatt has not been all that great in my opinion. I haven't really been interested in it. I think Alexa's been killing it though, and that's kind of the next thing that kind of segues me into the next thing on Raw that I wanted to talk about was Alexa and Nikki, because we saw that kind of take center stage tonight with Alexa officially breaking away. I actually kind of want to see them have an extended feud against each other, because I think that they could have a, I think that they can have really high-quality matches, and I think that they've worked so well together as a team over the course of the last couple of months that them, the chemistry that they've shown as a team might actually translate to their matches inside of the ring. I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. 
Um, so, well, first, Alexa, yes, let's applaud her for just being awesome. Um, attractive, yes. Crazy, yes. Does this story make sense? Not too much. I mean, in terms of, like, how did she get that way? Um, but the, I, I guess you don't really need a lot of, of explanation for that because it's the fiend and he's, like, outworldly. Um, but in, in terms of Bray Wyatt, the fiend, whatever, um, being an integral part of the main event, I, I, I don't know. He feels somewhat shoehorned in right now. Um, and I'm afraid that with the seriousness that Drew and Orton have been, um, focused on, it's, it's kind of above what the fiend does. I I just don't want another Seth Rollins versus fiend hell in the cell match. Like I, I I don't want that. And we're moving towards the TLC match, and that seems like right for something like that to happen. I, I just remember reading Larry's review of that show a couple of days ago and just thinking to myself, Jesus, it's awesome. Like one of two, wasn't it like back-to-back years with a no-contest finish inside of Hell in a Cell? Yeah. The audacity of these motherfuckers. We kind of have to discuss it here. Um, Nia Jax, Lana, Shayna Baszler. Well, it is an ongoing story, so yes, I suppose. The belief is that this is supposed to turn Lana into a sympathetic babyface. The reality of it is is that you're just setting up announce tables on a weekly basis for no particular reason. So... In order to create a sympathetic baby face, you must first know the target audience. <laughs> um, no one is going to care about Lana. You have to remember that this is a character that people have hated for multiple reasons, from cheating on her husband to getting with Bobby Lashley to screwing people over to you know, trying to entrap Enzo, to everything that the Lana character has done. And every single word that comes out of her mouth, promo-wise, is not likable at all. Not even a little bit. So people want to see her get smashed through a table. And then you think of the person that is doing it, Nia Jax. She is just as undesirable a character as Lana. So you don't really care. You, you, don't, you don't think Nia's evil. You just don't really care about her. So it's the wrong person. Like, let me give you this example. Let's just say Shayna Baszler came out and, like, broke one of Lana's fingers every week for 10 weeks. I think that you would be sympathetic. I think that you would be like, damn, that really sucks because Shayna's a badass and she's picking on this girl that doesn't even really know how to wrestle all that well but is trying her heart out. I think you might garner some sympathy points. Maybe. What you're doing right now is you're bringing someone that no one cares about and having her beat up someone that no one cares about. And if you're making her making us try to care about her, it's just it's not working at all. Well, even to more to your point there, I think that, like you mentioned the Shayna Baszler angle there, I think tonight's match against Shayna did way more for Lana in terms of sympatheticness than anything she's done with Nia Jax, Jax thus far. Because well, yeah, I mean that ma- yeah, that kind of lends to what I was saying. I, I uh, for sure. Um, but even I mean, I, even I had minor issues with the match. 
but despite the fact that like she she knew she was in over her head, she was still willing to give it the old college try. You know, she was still willing to take the opportunity that was presented to her in order to try to make a statement and try to get some revenge against the bully the bully tag team champions. Yeah, and I mean, you know, aside from the fact that it is her job and she's been doing this for a long time, she should be able to wrestle. But um, there's just so many little things wrong with this entire situation. The Lana versus Nia thing is, like, I've already just – I just talked about that. But the Survivor Series team being at odds with one another is just so – I mean, it's it's done to death. We We just saw an entire year, calendar year of wrestling where we saw tag teams that don't like each other. We currently have a women's tag team that doesn't like each other. And now they're doing the same thing at Survivor Series for the men and the women. And it's just, it's just so, ugh. and then there's all, there's no brand loyalty. Uh, you look at the raw team. Those are all SmackDown people except for one. So why would they give a shit about the red brand? You know, I, I don't know. They're just, that, that, that is encompassed in the Lana Naya thing. And tonight was a very glaring um, and unfortunate episode because you saw all the women out there. And who's the one person that didn't get love or attention or even a story, a part of the storyline? Asuka, the one that is holding the title, the one that is supposed to be the most important woman on the show, just kind of tossed aside so that Nia can send Lana into a table again. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I think you reach a point of diminishing returns when it comes to this kind of storyline, do you not? Especially seeing it multiple occasions on both shows. The SmackDown Women's Survivor Series team, maybe not so much because we only know two of the members, Bianca and Ruby. But for the Raw men's, the Raw women's, and the SmackDown men's teams, they're running basically the same angle for all three teams. That the question's going to be, how are these teams going to get along? I don't care. <laughs> no, and that's the problem because you you brought this point up in your report uh, before during our downtime there that 
guys, the draft was literally a fucking month ago. Are we really supposed to believe that these people are now supposed to be all about Team Red or Team Blue? I completely agree. Yep. All right. Any other storylines on Raw that you want to touch on that we haven't specifically mentioned? Um, for business New Day, perhaps? We didn't really give them uh, any love, but I do want to say that the Hurt Business has been killing it. Although I will say, I did find Drew Gulak tremendously entertaining tonight. Yeah, Hurt Business is great. I still don't get the whole beating up random people. I think that's just a little bit too cliche. The Hurt Business has been very, very good at being heels simply by existing. Um, beating up Drew in the backstage just seems a little bit too much. It's like a uh, too much. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I don't I don't see the point of it. You're, you, it didn't make me feel like they were more bad because they did that. Can I explain why I understand why they did it, though? Explain why it's okay to beat up a janitor. Go ahead. In this instance, I'm saying it's okay with them beating up Gulak because Gulak insulted them, albeit unintentionally. As MVP said, you're coming up to the dudes that are known as the best-dressed and the most well-maintained athletes in the company, and you're wearing a clip-on tie and a Velcro pocket square. It's insulting to the look that the Hurt Business maintains. Nothing? I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't disagree that it's insulting. I don't think that it warrants a four-on-one ass-kicking of a coworker or a janitor or a stagehand which is what we've seen over the past, you know, couple of months. Oh, no, the, the stuff with the janitor and the dude in catering that was stupid. But the Drew Gulak thing, I can kind of understand because he insulted them. The Titus O'Neil thing, I can kind of understand because Titus undeservedly felt that he could reach out to the Hurt Business when it's more of a we'll call you, not you call us situation. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, ah, Titus, 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 stick to the charity work, buddy. Like, I get what they were going for in the match with Bobby Lashley, but that didn't make it suck anyway. I mean, Titus is, you know, you see his arm swing and you're like, someone's going to die. And so either he's going to kill someone or he's holding back his punches and it just kind of makes it look a little awkward. Um, Also, just I I don't need a Bobby Lashley squash over Titus. I know Titus is not, you know, a winning wrestler. I know he's basically, you know, a jobber to the stars. But it's just he's one of those guys where commentary will try to sell you on over and over. And it's just like I – I don't. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. You know. I'm not. I'm also not saying I need a 10 minute match with Lashley and Titus. But just think for a second. If this never happened, if Titus never came out, would we have felt any different than what we did? He cut a promo on Sammy. He's who's. That's who he's going to fight, and then move on. And you know, MVP can gloat about the tag team title match next week, and then that's it. 
So this was just kind of like, I don't know, unnecessary. Yeah, it felt tacked on. It felt like they needed something to kill five minutes on Raw, so they threw Titus out there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to SmackDown, shall we? Sure. Um, well, we haven't talked about it in two weeks, but I know before we went on our little break, your favorite thing going was the Roman Reigns Jeyusa storyline. Is that still the case? Um, on SmackDown, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I. I think we called Jay joining forces with Reigns. I do feel that that was a little tacked on. Um, not to say that I wasn't that I'm against it. I think that it just wasn't done the best. Um, I think that it could have been done a little bit better. It seems so quick, uh, but but still, that's a, that's a minor quibble in a storyline that has had so much going for it. Just just so many good things. They are giving themselves an out with that, though, because of the way that Jay's reacting to Roman kind of trying to run the show in terms of who we can talk to and when he can talk. If you recall mm-hmm. from SmackDown, when Jay had the interview backstage with Charlie, or not Charlie, with Kayla Braxton that was interrupted by Paul Heyman, and Uso looks at Heyman kind of incredulously and says, I got to ask for permission to do interviews now? Yeah. And Heyman basically tells him, yes, I'm glad you understand. Uh, Let's see what else here. The Seth Rollins' buddy Murphy story, or excuse me, he's not your buddy guy. The Seth Rollins' Murphy story takes a turn back toward the origination of it with Murphy joining as the disciple but he tells Aaliyah to trust him, which kind of sense, which kind of leads me to believe that he's planning the seed for turning on Seth and helping the family with a big beat down on Seth in order to write him off. I think the storyline, I think the storylines run its course. At the same time, however, at the same time, however. I'm not opposed to more Seth Rollins and Murphy after the match that we got, uh, what was it, two weeks ago on SmackDown, where those two tore the fuck down for like 15 minutes. So if this leads to more Seth Rollins and Murphy singles matches, then I'm here for it. I, however, am not. Um, A big part of my Raw report tonight was talking about how... um, there were some really good matches tonight, particularly the um, the implosion of Team Raw and and even the uh, Elias, Jeff Hardy, and Riddle match was really good, I thought. Um, you can have a banger of a match. You can have an amazing match. But if the storyline and the trappings around it just don't engage, then it's just, it, it, it almost brings down the quality of the match. Um, because you, you, what are the stakes? Why are they fighting? What kind of energy does that reason bring into the ring? What story are they trying to tell? Do you believe in that story? Is it a story that you could sink your teeth into? Do you want to see them fight again solely based off of that? Or do you want to see them fight again solely based on the match at hand? Now, when you go to an indie show, there's typically not a lot of story going on before the match starts. 
you might get a promo in the ring and someone coming out and challenging later in the evening, but you don't get a lot of long-term storytelling. But that's what you know going in. You're buying a ticket to see people wrestle. On Raw, you're watching to be engaged in a story. Sometimes the wrestling is secondary, especially in the WWE. An ideal show will bring these elements together and create something that is so engaging that you want to be there on a weekly basis. And Raw just doesn't do that. Or SmackDown, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This storyline in particular doesn't do that. I still don't care about Rey Mysterio's daughter on the show. I, I, I don't. I think it's un, an unnecessary additive, and I'm not really sure why they went this route. I'm not angered by it. I'm not offended because of her age. I don't. I don't care about that. I really don't. Um, I just feel like it's too much Mysterio. <laughs> and and the whole disciple thing and, the, like, it just – if this is a story, you need to move to the next chapter because this has been going on for a very long time. And it's just I'm not engaged. Now, of course, they're not writing it just for Tony. This isn't just for me. But if I'm looking at it from an analytical standpoint, it just draw me in to the show. And I'm not really sure – who it would draw in. I think you raise an excellent point, though, in that for a weekly episodic television series, such as they like to claim themselves to be, then the necessity is, is to have people interested in the stories that you are telling. And I think while there's an entertainment value in the matches that these two are capable of having against each other, there's probably more entertainment involved with Rollins and Murphy off in their own separate storyline without dragging Ray, Dominic, and to a lesser extent, Aaliyah into it as well. I'll agree with that. We've talked many yeah, times I mean, on the show. Real quick, we've talked many times on the show that our favorite episodes of the shows that we've covered thus far have been ones where they have a seamless story that is told throughout the entirety of an episode. And the action in the ring, while maybe secondary, ties to that story. Yeah, when you when you let's take the main event of Raw as a as a small example, the wrestling was subpar. Nobody did anything wrong, but it, it took a back seat to the story they were trying to tell, which was Orton is not going to tag in because he feels he's above this. Drew wants Orton to give him a little bit of a preview for next week. The New Day is just two positive dudes that want to wrestle. Miz and Morrison are jackasses. The story is there. It presented itself. You take it or you don't. But the players that are involved, did they do their part? Did they sell it well? And I think they did. I think the main event of Raw was a success. Was the wrestling good? I mean, I'm not going to call it bad, but it was kind of secondary to everything else that was going on. That's what you should be doing for the show as an entirety. You can even look at Reigns and, and Jey Uso. Have their matches been amazing in terms of wrestling quality strictly? Not at all. They are drawn out. They're long. A bulk of it is Rain bullying Jay. Jay gets a little bit of offense in, you know. But in terms of quality of wrestling, relatively low. Then you look at the well, story as a whole, and then you, you bring all that into the ring. Suddenly it's amazing, and it's like something you want to see more of. What's going to happen next? You know, is Jimmy going to come back and be a whole new fold in this? When the fuck is Rikishi showing up? Like, all that, all that is, like, exciting. Can I throw a comparison to Roman and Jay at you in terms of entertainment over in-ring action? 
Mm-hmm. Although not on the same scale, you could almost compare their original match to Hogan Rock from WrestleMania 18. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example of, you know, wrestling quality purely versus the story as a whole. I would I would even say if you look at if you look that match up on a bunch of wrestling sites, you're gonna see four or five stars. Um, I can tell you right now, the Roman Reigns Shay Uso match at Classic Champions, the original match, when I did my review for it and I I joined this app called Grapple, which is basically like a rating which is like a rating app for wrestling. I said it was a three star match with a five star story and rated it four and a quarter. Mm-hmm. because you split the difference in terms of entertainment value when the story is there to bring it to that next level. Roman and Jay have been able to pull that off thus far. I don't think that Seth and are not. Yeah, Seth and Ray have been able to. I yeah, think there's, the there's, I mean, there's at least five different reasons as to why that's true, but we don't need to get into all that. I think, I think the in-ring content is there for Seth and for Seth and, and Murphy, but we don't have a likable reason to invest in their story yet. SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Street, street Profits are looking at probably shooting with Ziggler and Rude because apparently the WWE creative gods hate us. I don't dislike Rude I don't dislike Ziggler I dislike them together Because I think Rude is capable Of way more as a single And if we're being Entirely honest Ziggler's probably Passed his best by date Oh Ziggler I mean, I okay. I've never really been a big fan of um, Rude and Ziggler. Um, I I do remember giving Rude a lot of credit in the match versus Drew. I don't remember when that was, but I thought he did spectacularly well. Uh, the tag team with Ziggler and Rude just it just doesn't interest me. It's not something I'm really um, latching onto. Ziggler, look, you you got to give the man credit for his longevity and for his continuous effort in selling every single move that he is hit with. You know, he's great. He's he's he plays a role and he does it well. Uh, but it just you look at the character, and you really you still after several years ask yourself, who are you? You know, <laughs> you know. I think the problem isn't so much of who is Dolph Ziggler as a character, it's why should we invest in Dolph Ziggler as a character when it changes on such a consistent basis. He can't tell if he's a face or if he's a heel. He can't tell if he's an 80s glam rocker or a punk-ass tag team member. He can't tell if he's a badass at going around challenging people and throwing out matches and stuff, or if he's that guy cowering away from a fight because the opportunity doesn't suit him. The word that I would use to describe Ziggler is unfortunately inconsistent. Right, well, I mean, his most consistent is in the ring, but 
if you look up the word squandered potential, you'll see a picture of Dolph Ziggler in terms of what could have been with him on multiple occasions. His original money in the bank cash in. Yeah, injuries happen, shit happens, that sucks, but that's one of those things where it was what it was when he got kicked in the head by Jack Swagger and concussed and ended up having to drop the belt. But then the dude was hot as hell coming off of the authority versus Team Cena match at the Survivor Series. And they did jack and shit with him in following. He was, he's just he's a, he's an interesting uh, study in terms of wrestling. Um, he's one of those guys where, you know, he's he's most likely made a lot of money with the product. He's probably very very comfortable. He knows his worth, but he also knows his place. Um, the type of guy that doesn't really ask for more because he probably doesn't need it. So you can't get mad at him. I remember. Tyler Breeze once went off on somebody who was like, you know, you're barely being, you're basically insulting him in his position on the card. And Breeze responded with like, I was able to buy my own home. I live very, very comfortably and I'm incredibly happy and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's very interesting to see these mindsets because you can't disagree with them and you can't put a man down for living his dream. Um, And you even get to the people who've been doing this for a long time, which I think Ziggler kind of falls into that category where, Maybe they didn't have their time in the sun. Maybe they didn't get that, you know, long run or continuous roll at the top. But they are living their dream, and they are healthy, and they're being a part of something as opposed to being the most integral part. And, you know, so it's it's very hard to look at Ziggler and be, like, upset about squandered potential, even if you do understand the the idea behind that or or get it. I, I like Ziggler, even when I watch, I'm not – really interested from a, from a storyline standpoint, from a, from a writer's perspective, the, the thing I dislike about Ziggler the most is that he's been around for so long and there's just no depth to him. There's, there's, there's not a lot there. <laughs> um, I can give you another reason why uh, Tyler Breeze would be happy in his position with the company. Check your messenger, Tony. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. <laughs> That's his wife, who he met through the WWE. That's Audrey mm-hmm. Marie. Yeah, I think he mentioned that too, actually. But yeah, like the point is, like that—that's essentially the point. I just, uh, I, I always, I always try. You know, I don't always succeed, but I always try to analyze this product that we know and love from a standpoint that has a lot of backing, but while still getting that at the end of the day, these people are human, they're performers, and they are usually hindered completely by a team called creative that is anything but. Now, the writers, I don't know. I don't know any of them. Maybe one or two. I hear Daniel Bryan is helping out on SmackDown, which is awesome. But I don't know. After watching this product for several years and – then becoming a writer, it's just it's discouraging to see a product that is just lacking in the thing that brought them to the dance. Now, I'm not some Attitude Era, you know, apologist. I'm really not. But when you see the height of wrestling and you compare those numbers to now, you really have to ask yourself, how did we get here? And although there are any number of reasons that we got to the point that we're at right now, I strongly and firmly believe that a majority of it is the quality of the product 
and the changing um, expectations of a smarter audience, both literally, like intelligence-wise, and uh, wrestling-wise, smart-wise. Like that has altered, and the WWE has refused to adhere to that, you know, marketability. They lost a lot of their traction when they wanted to target sole just children, which was to- totally okay. But those kids grow up. So your seven and eight year olds that you had, they're now 17 and 18. Did you hold on to them or did you lose them? And when you lost them, did you make new seven and eight year old fans? You didn't. And it just, man, I mean, if I had the time and the effort, I would probably write rings of paper about how I feel about this. But it all comes down to one thing for me. There is a distinct lack of creativity in the product. Much though I hate to give them credit, I think that that's one of the things that AEW's actually been very smart about, that they've read their audience and given opportunities as such, if that makes sense. I mean, I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to readily compare the two products. However, I will say that there is, um, there's a lot to be said about about a product that uses the wherewithal of their audience and their wrestlers and actively tries to create a product that, you know, tells a story. Like well, I think that they have I think that they have some drawn out plans that they can work around. Well specifically I'm gonna look at one particular guy here and that's going to be the rise of Eddie Kingston where Eddie Kingston went from being a guy who was just brought in as a one-off to face Cody for the TNT title, they realized the reaction that Kingston got from a large majority of what would be their fan base, because let's be honest, AEW fans are they tend to lean more smarter uh, IWC-style fans. People that are in on with the inside jokes from being the elite. People that are familiar with the work of the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega through the Bullet Club in Japan and through their adventures in Ring of Honor amongst a couple other American independents that are familiar with the concept of what all elite wrestling was built off of. And they're taking the advice of that fan base that so vocally reached out in support of Eddie Kingston that not only was Kingston given a full-time deal, but Kingston has been given the ball with an opportunity to showcase what he's capable of, and he's completely knocked it out of the park every single time. Yeah, and they're not without their problems either. I mean, when you look at the the storyline of Young Bucks versus FTR, like the Bucks randomly super kicking people, it's the same thing I feel about the Hurt Business, you know, attacking janitors. Like, it's out of character. It doesn't make sense. It, they don't come off as cocky because they're paying the fines. Um, and it, comes, it becomes even worse when they try to get rid of that simply because they want them to be the faces of the match versus FTR. But, I mean, there's story there, and they tried, to, they tried to fix it. They tried to make it a little bit more interesting, a little better, and it did end up leading to a match that was amazing that told its own story. Uh, but he, he, even that, that that's no different than me criticizing the WWE for doing what they're doing. I'm not, you know, AEW is not uh, innocent. They're going to have hiccups. They're going to have stories that don't pan out or don't connect. 
And it's very hard when you don't have an audience to kind of properly gauge which direction you're going. Um, but it's just, that is what, that's few and far between as opposed to the, the WWE who, um, I mean, I, I, I compared tonight's episode to blowing up a balloon with a small hole in it. Like it, it, it's exhausting. And just when you think you have the right amount of air, just when you think you're properly entertained, there's just so many other things that are just not worth it. Let's move back over to SmackDown and continue our discussion about what we missed in the downtime here. Uh, Tony, breaking news. Sasha had a successful title defense. Mm-hmm. She did. And then Carmella returned and hit her with an X-Factor on the ramp. Ah, uh, um, yes, the X-Factor. The finisher of people that don't matter. Or the finisher of the women's division circa everybody back to Ivory. <laughs> oh my god, Carmella's a Bella twin. Yep. And you know how much I love them. <laughs> so I think that you won't be watching Thursday. Good to know. All right. Anyway, um I will admit Carmella looked incredibly adorable in her new ring gear. That being said, I don't see this as a different Carmella. Mm-hmm. I see this as well, basically, they turned Carmella into Lana, if that makes sense. I mean, I feel like they've been trying to get this particular character over countless times. Lana, Emma, Lana, yeah. Liv, even, to a degree. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You really have to ask yourself, similar question that I asked with Dolph, like, who is Carmella? She's somebody who writes with lipstick on a mirror. Um, she's just a little bit more blonde. Did she forget how to moonwalk? Like I don't, I don't really know. Granted, there's not a, she hasn't been given a lot of time, so I'm not gonna like insult her fully. But we'll know when we uh, get her in the ring and we realize that her move set is essentially the same. She's not our princess anymore, sir. Well, the good news is this is a transitional match, or not a transit. This is a match that's just to get to the next challenger. She's not gonna win. This is just another person for Sasha to beat. So I'm okay with that. Realistically, I, I I'm not the world's biggest fan of her, but the money match on SmackDown right now for Sasha almost has to be Bianca Belair, right? Man, that I mean, you don't want to strap a rocket to her quite yet. Um, I think that that might just be shooting yourself in the foot. I think there's a little bit more um, that she can gain from having a a solid storyline with someone else before she gets to the title. But also, you know, there's that other question of like, if not now, then, you know, when with a coronavirus going on and an audience lacking an audience, like you might as well shoot your shot now. I just feel like Bianca is one of those new players that would do really, really well with an audience behind her. If not, if not Bianca, then who? Because Mm -hmm. realistically speaking, there's not a whole lot of other women on the SmackDown Women's Division that would be capable of carrying the title feud against Sasha right now. Yeah, I just, I I feel like Sasha versus Bayley had a little bit more legs to it, but, you know, it's it's just a weird timing right now. It's, it's, I feel like they, they had to, they had, they asked themselves the same question, if not now, then when? And they decided to, you know, 
give Sasha's about. We've had great matches because of it, but nowhere near that feeling of takeover, either one. Last couple of weeks is coming back to bite me. I'm trying to stay awake here. All right, one last thing to discuss, Tony, here, and we're going to get a little sad at the end of the episode. I'm going to apologize to this man. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday. Are you ready to say goodbye? Uh, shit, maybe. The final farewell for The Undertaker, 30 years to the day after his debut in the WWE. Oh, that. Okay, look. It's called The Final Farewell. How many farewells is he going to have? I've made peace with The Undertaker retiring. A long time ago, <laughs> and he just shows up again. So yeah, no, this is a this is a way to sell tickets. This is a marketing thing. You can tell by watching the network. I mean, the good news is we're getting great documentaries out of it. But yeah, this doesn't. This is not an emotional end for me. The Paul Bear one was really good. I enjoyed that. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Brothers of Destruction one. Just Kane and Undertaker shooting the shit for an hour. That sounds fun. This Sunday, I believe, is the release date for that. I watched the um, Paul Bear one earlier this afternoon and really enjoyed kind of the inside look at William Moody, the person in addition to what went into the creation of the Paul Bear character. Because I've, I've heard the story mm-hmm. before. Long-time wrestling fans have heard the story. And as an avid listener of something to wrestle, Bruce Pritchard's told the story of The Undertaker and Kane many times before because the Kane character was Bruce Pritchard's creation. Yeah. But hearing it from the actual parties involved and the fact that basically Kane... On the uh, on the Paul Bear story, basically says that the Undertaker and Paul Bear saved my WWE career. There's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. If this didn't work, and it was originally supposed to be a one-off, if this didn't work, I was going to be released. And here we are, some 25 years later, 23 years later, 1997. So. And we still talk about Kane and The Undertaker and this storyline that started in your house, Bad Blood, all the way back then in October of 97. You mentioned, and this will be it, you mentioned that whole comparison to the Attitude Era and not being an Attitude Era apologist. I actually think that it was at its peak the year before the Attitude Era. 97 is peak creative for the WWF, in my opinion. Because you had the Undertaker Kane storyline. You had the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin. You had the Heart Foundation in all of its glory. You had the attempt to create a light heavyweight division, even if the actual pieces involved were not necessarily the most entertainment. Entertaining. You had the rise of Triple H and McFoley as Mankind slash Dude Love in 1997. There, 1997. I'm going back and watching it in my watch room. Actually, up to July of 97. Now, the next show that I watch will be the In Your House Canadian Stampede, widely considered to be one of the greatest pay-per-views ever. But 
I'm in the process of going back and watching the stuff from 1997 right now, and I'm realizing just how much went into creative at this time and just how much effort that people like Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe and Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette put into the creative process at this time frame and then compare it to the almost lackadaisical way that they present creative on a somewhat week-in, week-out basis nowadays. Well, I I just think that they're fatigued. This this product that they're putting on right now has significantly more hours than back then. Um, and the, the way that it's done with the amount of people that are involved and the levels that it has to go through, both on-site and off-site and through vents, it, um, it becomes more of a what we need to get through whatever he's going to like just to get to, through to this episode. It's uh, it's like writing with a deadline, but your deadline is, you know, two hours. So you're really, you're, you're struggling. You can't create quality work like that at all. You, you need time to process, to edit, to work around possible injuries or flubs or things that could, you know, could go wrong. Um, disconnects with audiences. You don't have that because Raw's, usually written day of, or at least, you know, edited to, to all hell, um, which kind of, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. I've, I've, I know little about running a TV show, you know, outside of taking a couple of film classes and just general knowledge, but take on in just a day, you know, these, we have shows that are written for months before the performers even set foot on stage. And then you have raw that's live to the point where, it's just rough. I mean, imagine as a performer being handed a script that has a bunch of lines through it, you know, and then you're like, you're, you're expected to talk exactly like they're, they're saying, you know, you're not getting a bullet point. You're getting a script that's written word for word. You got to memorize that, go out there and say it all. It's tough. And I think that's another thing too, that you realize watching the order shows how much more creative freedom the talent had back then. Yeah. In order to pick a little, in order to pick little things to help advance their characters. I think that's one of the things that we've gotten away from in terms of creativity in the WWE specifically is that you don't see as many talents given the opportunity to just be themselves. Like you get it for somebody like a Drew McIntyre. You get it for somebody like a Randy Orton like we talked earlier. But I guarantee you Drew Gulak is going out there and saying word for word what they give Drew Gulak to say. Any other things that you wanted to touch on, Tony? Um, no, no, not really. Since we had the opportunity to discuss a good portion of tonight's episode, we can final reaction tonight's episode of Raw to kind of get us back into the groove of things. We won't do SmackDown specifically because SmackDown was Friday. It was a long weekend. I remember some of SmackDown. You watched the pay-per-view. I haven't yet, but I'm about to. We'll talk about the pay-per-view itself next weekend, and then we'll do our preview for Survivor Series next Monday as well. But for tonight's episode of Raw, Tony, uh, favorite match or moment? Um, the opening contest. I went into that expecting a sluggish two men in the ring, one out, triple threat match, and that is not what I got at all. Very, very impressed, and it got me off to a good start. Um, the show didn't keep it, but... It was a good start. I'm going to go with Holly and Ricochet. 
I was really impre- really impressed by the performance of both guys. Not that that should be a surprise to listeners to the show. We've sung the praises of both of these men multiple times before. But try as he might, Ali is trying to make something of what he was given. I believe the phrase that was used was chicken salad out of chicken shit. And if there's a guy in the WWE capable of pulling this off, so I think it might be Mustafa Ali. If only the announcer could start pronouncing his name correctly. I don't know why they changed the pronunciation. But I like this pronunciation more. Mustafa. Anyway, least favorite match or moment tonight? Um, the 24-7 shit. Um, you kind of mentioned that that's one of those leave-your-brain-at-the-door things. Lashley and Titus was actively bad and felt like a waste of Lashley. Going hmm. into a pay-per-view champion versus champion match that you really shouldn't be wasting TV time for him with. So I'm going to go with Lashley versus Titus. And Liz's mom is going to kill me because she loves Titus. Overall show rating tonight, Sonny? Uh, 6.5. I'm a full point higher than you are at seven and a half, but that has a lot to do with the fact that tonight's episode of Raw was very heavily focused in ring, and you know I always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Who's your MVP tonight? <sighs> Me for getting through it. Um, I'm going to say... Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Seamus and Drew. Uh, their exchanges backstage, it sounds like they may be leading to an eventual tag team, which is going to be great but they are a distinct difference between um, any other two wrestlers talking. That wasn't scripted. That was them shooting the shit. That was them making it feel real that they actually knew each other. And um, those are the little things, the little moments where, as good as they are, unfortunately, they also, they also show the glaring mistakes with everybody else's dialogue. You gave credit to this guy at the start of the show? I'm going to add to it right now. I cannot stop yawning. I'm going to add to it right now. I'm going to go with Randy Orton. I think Orton's portrayal of champion on the brink has been fantastic these last couple of weeks. And the way that he went off on Miz during Miz TV when he thought Miz was trying to set him up, the refusal to get involved so that way he couldn't be blindsided by his own tag team partner, even to the point of snapping on Adam Pierce when Pierce broke the news of the title defense next week back in the uh, little gorilla position before Orton went out to the ring for the main event. I thought Orton's character work was spot on tonight, so I'm going to give him my MVP. Good to be back, Tony. I missed you. Oh, well, thanks. I'm easy to miss. You didn't miss me at all, and that's okay. But if people do miss you, where can they find more of your work at? 411mania.com in the wrestling section. And on Twitter, Tony Acero 411. I am the Eagle on Twitter. Admittedly, I barely use it. You can find both myself and Tony, though, in the Chairshot Wrestling Facebook group by searching for the Chairshot on Facebook forums. 
for the absent co-hostess with the most Miss Voice Publicity, who we hope to have back next week, and the down since day one co-host, Tony Acero. My name is Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to the return of The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. We return to our normal format next Monday night and have your preview for Survivor Series right here on The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. Deuces, bitches. Uh, in a lot of states, if you text 411 or if you call 411, you can have somebody that will talk to you and help you through whatever it is you're dealing with. In addition, there are multiple resources online available for everybody out there who needs somebody to talk to regardless of your situation. Don't remain silent. If you need help, get help. As somebody who has long suffered with depression and bipolar disorder, I urge all of you that if you're feeling off, if you're feeling like something's wrong, find your happy and try to, how do I put this, try to make the best out of a bad situation until you're able to feel yourself again. I'm sure there are people that would much rather talk you through to what you're dealing with than attend your funeral. You've been listening to the reaction presentation the Chairshot Radio Network. You can find us online at thechairshot.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night with our preview for Survivor Series 2020. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.